Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Everyone, Sean Brewster here with you again today for this episode of ACE Audio. Uh, I'm not sure if you can hear the background noise, but once again, recording this episode from my phone while in the car on the road, just trying to make the most of the downtime on these long drives. So I thought I'd try to knock out an episode for you all. So today's episode, I'm going to be talking plantar fasciopathy. This is one of those conditions uh, that often confounds and frustrates a lot of practitioners. Patients will come in with plantar heel pain or plantar pain. Uh, it really affects their life, their quality of life their ability to, to participate in, in uh, sporting activities, work, just social stuff, even just getting around day to day. Uh, and it can be very difficult to treat clinically and get good results with. So I thought it might be helpful if we explore some of the, the facets of this condition so we can all get a better understanding of what plantar fasciopathy is, how it presents, what some of the causes are, and maybe what we can do about it. So we, today we're using the term plantar fasciopathy because... This is the, the currently accepted term that would describe the presentation that we see clinically. You may have, or you most likely will have heard of the term plantar fasciitis before. That was the term that was used for a really long time. But like a lot of soft tissue pathologies, we've moved away from the itis uh, suffix. And the reason being is because there's not always a strong inflammatory component to this presentation. And so plantar fasciopathy, opathy meaning pathology of that region of the body, is possibly a better way to describe what we're talking about. Other terms that people will sometimes use would be plantar plate pain, as in the plantar fascia itself is referred to as the plantar plate, uh, or plantar heel pain. So there's a few different terms that float around, but really we should be trying to err away from the use of plantar fasciitis, one, because it's outdated, and two, because we want to be specific about the type of soft tissue pathology the person is experiencing, and it's difficult to be uh, accurate with regard to the term. With, with regard to the use of the itis suffix, because it's not always inflammatory in nature. Okay, so terminology out of the way. What does it look like when it presents? Now, you can often misdiagnose a plantar fasciopathy. It may be something else. So we have to consider a differential diagnosis, of course, when, we can, when we're looking at plantar foot pain, plantar heel pain. And other things that might present like plantar fasciopathy could be something like drain or even a trigger point to one of the intrinsics of the foot, such as the quadratus plantae muscle or the other muscles in that region of the foot where we often experience plantar fasciopathy type pain. It could be a fat pad contusion or fat pad injury, so the fat pad that sits underneath the sole of the heel. It could be trigger point referral from further up the chain. We often see trigger points in some of the calf muscles that were referred down into the sole of the foot and even into the specific area where we often get plantar fascia type pain. Could be a tarsal tunnel syndrome, so an entrapment or compression of the nerves that pass around the back of the heel and into the sole of the foot. There's a number of different things that could present with the pain in that region, so we can never discount those things and should always consider a thorough assessment and history to give us the best information we can gather to really diagnose this condition as best we can. So to get a little bit more certainty around it being a plantar fasciopathy, one of the best things to do is just take a really thorough history. And now in the history, we discovered certain things. Typically, the patterns of pain would be a great one to look at for a start. So when does the pain come on? When does it abate? When, does it, when is it at worst? And so typically, most patients with plantar fasciopathy are going to complain of morning pain. When they first get out of bed and load that foot, they're going to experience fairly intense pain and they'll often hobble around for a while after that. 
And one of the reasons for that is that when we sleep, when we're laying in bed, we typically end up in a plantar flex position. It's very difficult to not end up in a plantar flex position while we're sleeping. The weight of the blankets or sheets on our feet will do it. Or even if you're laying on your front, of course, your feet will point as well. So over the course of the night, we've got an irritated connective tissue of the plantar fascia in a shortened state. And like fascial tissue anywhere in the body, if we hold it in a shortened state for any period of time or a longer period of time, like it would be when we're sleeping, then that fascia will become to a degree dehydrated. It will shorten and it will deform into that position. And so just like when you get up out of bed in the morning, you typically have to move around. You feel a bit stiff until you start moving. The circulation improves. We improve the elasticity of the fascia and we start to feel a little freer. Now, the plantar fascia is no different. So when we get up in the morning, that plantar fascia is in a shortened state. We then load it immediately by standing on the floor. We apply a stretch load to that tissue. And if it's already, if there's, if there's some micro trauma going on, if there's already some injury present within that tissue, you're going to be stretching an already painful and already pathological tissue, which can then give you an immediate and fairly strong pain sensation. So that's, that's the classic pain, pain pattern. First thing in the morning. Now, what will happen then is that person will get up and they'll move around. It'll be sore for a few minutes. And then as the morning goes on, they do, you know, they head off to work, they go off and do whatever they do. And as they start to move around more, the pain usually reduces. So we get some movement-based inhibition of this tissue. We get some gating of the pain. We get some increase in circulation. We get a whole bunch of tissue and neurological changes that help to reduce the pain sensation for the person to a point. And this is the important part. We will get a reduction in pain to a point. Now, if they, tr- if they truly have a plantar fasciopathy, they'll start moving around through the day. And if their movement exceeds what that t- tissue is capable of withstanding on that, on that particular day, they will again return to a painful state. So it starts off painful. Movement in the beginning is uncomfortable. Then movement reduces the discomfort. And then too much movement brings it back on again. And so people often say it's sore first thing in the morning for a while. Then it gets better. I go off to work. I do what I do. Then towards the end of the day, it starts to get worse again. And by the time I get home, I have to put my feet up and my foot's killing me. And so that's, that's the classic pattern of a plantar fasciopathy. It can vary. And depending on the degree of severity of uh, sensitivity or acuteness in the presentation, some people will have more or less pain throughout the day. And it may even be painful all the time, regardless of how much load they're applying. So that's the classic pattern. The next thing we want to determine in the patient's history is what might be the cause of this, this plantar uh, fasciopathy type pain. And we're looking for things like a mechanism of injury or a change in load. These are the two things we typically look at. So the acute injury or the acute trauma to the plantar fascia can be induced by something like a blunt force trauma. You stand heavily on a rock, for example, it presses up into the fascia. It may strain micro tear or just you know even bruise that fascia, which can result in some, in, in some uh, irritation. Or it's more likely they've had some maladaption to excessive load, which means that they've started to increase their load on that tissue at a rate that it can't withstand. So that's typically when somebody takes up an activity like a sport or increases the amount of uh, time they're spending on their feet or changes the surfaces they're running or walking or standing on or changes their footwear they're wearing while they're at work or while they're doing sport or whatever it might be. Something changes in their activity or the environment around them. And the change is not necessarily the problem. The rate of change is the problem. And so we know that somebody can go from doing no exercise, doing you know six hours of exercise a day at an, at an elite level and not get injured potentially, but it's the rate of change that's the problem. So if you went from zero to six hours a day, which is an excessive example, I know, um, there's, it's likely that the body will 
will complain in some way, one way or another at some point, unless that increase is really gradual. And so this is the most common cause of plantar fasciopathy is that somebody's changed something at a speed at which the body has not adapted too well. And so we go back through the history and we ask them questions. It won't always be obvious to the patient what they've done. So if you say to them, you know, what's changed in your activity and the way that you move, where you move, where you do your activities and so on, they may go, oh, nothing really. And then you have to dig a bit deeper because chances are something's changed today that they weren't aware of being a problem at the time. So you might have to go back and say, okay, what's your, what's your physical activity look like at the moment? And they'll tell you what, they, what they've been up to. What was it like, you know, the last two or three months? And what was it like six months ago? What was it like 12 months ago? Has it changed? What sort of things have changed over that time? Have there been peaks and troughs in your activity? Have you had periods of rest, which can sometimes be a, a problem because people would then get this, this stress shielding effect of their tissue where they, they go back out of exercise, they have a rest for a while, and it shields them from the stress that, they're, that they've, they've adapted to, and then they come back into it. So it might not be an increase. It might be a return to normal load after rest, which can be just as much of a problem at times. It's also, again, worth asking questions about what has changed in the footwear that you're using or the, the surfaces that you're standing or doing your activity on. They may have just taken up a new job, which requires them to stand for longer areas, hours. They're on hard surfaces. Any of these things can be a cause of maladaption uh, within these within the tissues of the body, not just in plantar fascia, but of course anywhere in the body this can happen. And so these are some of the questions you want to dive into with your patient. And it can really give you a clearer idea of what might be some of these triggers. And we never know for sure, but you could, you'll start to see certain things emerge in that history that seem to make a lot of sense. And from there, we can then give better advice to the patient on what they might need to reduce, adjust, or adapt to over time while they're going through their recovery phase. So for example, if they've just taken up running and they've gone from running once a week uh, and they've increased that to say four times a week, you say, okay, you might not necessarily need to stop running if they're able to continue running with their current state of discomfort, but let's reduce that. Maybe the runs are gonna be shorter. Maybe we're gonna change the footwear you're using. Maybe we're gonna reduce the speed. Maybe we're gonna do less of those runs per week. You can adjust the load. You don't have to cut everything out. You can adjust the load, providing they're able to do those things without giving themselves huge spikes of pain or discomfort while, during that activity or directly after. Or within, I should say, within the 24 hours that follows that activity, it's usually a bit of a, a good guide to work from. Okay, so we've taken our history and then we're going to look at what can be some physical assessment techniques that we can use to apply to really confirm or, or discount our hypothesis about plantar fasciopathy. And probably one of the most reliable things for plantar fasciopathy is just going to be palpation. Simple old palpation. You take a thumb or a finger and you press directly over the anterior part of the calcaneus and the sole of the foot. Now, this is the site where the plantar fascia at its proximal end will insert into or wrap around over the base of the, uh, sorry, over the base of the calcaneus. And at this point, it's typically very tender to touch. And again, but depending on the level of sensitivity at the time that the patient's in the clinic with you, it may be more sensitive to touch or less sensitive to touch. So if they've had a really good couple of days, they're not in a, uh, a great degree of discomfort or sensitivity when they come in, you might press over that area and it might not be very obvious. Or they're in a higher degree of sensitivity at that on that particular time you press it and they just about fly off the table. So we need to consider what they're like on that day as well while we're doing our palpation. You could also try applying a dorsiflexion or extension of the toes. So stretching the toes into extension, pulling them up, can apply a, a stretching sensation to 
the plantar fascia, and then that may also induce some discomfort. Although it's going to be less specific uh, than the palpation at the location. And of course, you can get scans and imaging done of the plantar fascia to determine if there's any lesions within the tissue, but typically that's not indicated. With a thorough history and a basic assessment, physical assessment, you can almost always determine a plantar fasciopathy. Uh, and and it, having said that too, scans and images can also be misleading because they might identify a lesion within the tissue that's not related to the pain or the source of the pain with their presentation. So it can be confusing or misleading to get imaging done when, uh, when the other assessment forms can be more than enough to give you that information. The other thing to think about when you're doing assessment is, okay, you've, you've done your history, you've done your physical assessment, you think, yes, it's plantar fasciopathy, I think that's what it is. Come back to your differential diagnosis list and consider those other things that you've listed. The strain or the trigger point in the quadratus plantae or other intrinsic muscles, the referral from something further up the chain, the tussle tunnel syndrome, uh, the plantar fat pad contusion. Consider all of those things and assess for those too. Even if the history is pointing to plantar fasciopathy, the symptoms of those other conditions may be masquerading. So it really is worth diving into those ones as well and considering how can I assess those other conditions. Maybe they're also coexisting with the plantar fasciopathy. And this is a, a trap we often fall into as we go, yes, we've done our assessment. We've determined as much as we possibly can that it is condition A and that we've ruled out B, C, D and E. But what if B, C, D or E is still there and still contributing some way to that pain presentation? So we resolve condition A, but the pain lingers and the patient gets frustrated and they move on to someone else and then they start this process again with the next therapist and then they potentially miss it as well. And the person, we've all had these patients before, right? They've been on the merry-go-round. They get some relief and then the problem comes back again. They can't figure out why. We, can't, we can never discount the idea that maybe a patient will have two things going on or even more at any one time. All right, so let's look at management now. I'm gonna use the term management rather than treatment because plantar fasciopathy being a fascial-based pathology can be quite difficult to treat. So fascia is highly innovated, which makes it typically fairly sensitive. In fact, fascia is the most densely populated uh, sensory organ in the body, even more so than the skin. So the ability for it to be painful is very, very high. The upside is that it has a typically pretty good circulation, so it has the ability to heal, has the ability to recover. But because we're loading it all the time, because of its location, it can be very difficult to give an opportunity to recover in the appropriate way. So if we injure our shoulder, we just typically don't use that shoulder or that arm much. We just let it rest, and often that's a big part of the recovery process is the rest and recovery. But with the plantar fascia pain, we, we don't typically have that opportunity. You know, we can't just sit in the chair for days or weeks until it gets better. And even if we did do that, you know, theoretically, we'd be doing ourselves a disservice anyway because we get that stress shielding happening and the person would then be back to square one once they started doing their activity again. So we, it is management more than treatment. We need to manage the, the load that the person is applying to that tissue while they're in the recovery phase. And we need to manage the inputs that that tissue is receiving so we can encourage a better environment for healing for that tissue. So first thing first, we go back to the load. We go back to the activities that the person is undertaking on a daily basis. And we look at what might be excessive and what can be adjusted. And it, sometimes it's just small adjustments. It might be, like I said before, reducing the frequency of a certain activity, reducing the intensity of a certain activity, or it might be about changing the environment around it. So it might be that they've been wearing very hard-soled shoes. Maybe we can get some softer cushioning under that foot. 
Maybe they've been wearing a fairly, fairly aggressive orthotic, which is another thing to consider. And the orthotic is pressing up into the plantar fascia, applying force to that fascia and stretching it, producing more sensitivity. So maybe it's about getting the orthotic out of the shoe for a while and maybe just wearing a shoe that's a little more comfortable for that person. So these are things that you can experiment with, things that you can try to manage the load. And it really is a load management strategy that we're looking at here. Then we might think about what can we change in the way that the person moves throughout the day. And so we said earlier that one of the, the common causes of uh, a pain onset will be getting out of bed and loading that foot first thing in the morning. So one thing I found to be really effective is, bef is before the patient stands up on their foot when getting out of bed in the morning, have them lay in bed and just move that foot around, extend that foot into plantar flexion and dorsiflexion, extend the toes backwards and forwards, move the ankle around, sort of get some circulation of that tissue, warming up the tissue. Then before you stand on the foot and load the tissue, have them sit on the edge of the bed and maybe use a tennis ball or something soft under their foot to gently massage the sole of the foot to increase some circulation, to, de to desensitize that tissue. Now, no amount of massaging, no amount of rolling your foot on golf balls or tennis balls or squash balls is going to stretch that plantar fascia. Plantar fascia is highly tensile. It does not stretch very, very much at all. It's not designed to stretch because it's designed to support the arch of the foot and facilitate the, the windless mechanism. And so we don't want that tissue stretched. We want it warm. We want it elastic. And so plantar fascia does have some elastic nature to it, but there's nothing we're going to do with our manual therapy that will sort of permanently or even semi-permanently change the length of that tissue. So we have them sitting on the side of the bed for a minute or so, rolling their foot on a, on a, on a tennis ball or something soft to sort of warm up and desensitize the tissue. So when they first stand with their full body weight, it's not a sudden shock to the tissue and they will have less of an acute experience as a result. And then we help them understand that the plantar fascia needs a little bit of time to kind of get going at the start of the day and that, that we want to discourage them from rushing out the door and racing off to catch a, a bus or a tram or whatever it might be. And so let's just start you out at the start of the day warming up. Imagine that you're about to go and play sport and you want to gradually increase your, your intensity of movement as the day starts. And that's regardless of the type of activity the person's going to do. They just need to consider themselves in the situation where the tissue needs a bit of a warm-up. So start your activity slowly, ease into the day. Then we look at how much activity they're doing during the day typically. If they're going to work or they're going to school or whatever they're doing throughout the day requires them to be on their feet a fair bit, well, then we might encourage them to find some pockets of time where they can sit and let that tissue rest or recover. So if you're typically fairly active between your, your meal breaks, on your meal breaks, I really need you to sit down, give that tissue a chance to settle, give it a chance to desensitize. And then as you get back up, ease back into the activity and off you go again. And then lastly, ask them to keep a little bit of a track of when they are the most sensitive and thinking about what kind of activities have they done that may have led to that increase in sensitivity. And then they can report that back to you. And then again, you can provide some advice or suggestions on how to manage that more effectively. All right, so now we've got them managing their load. We've got them adjusting or managing the activities of daily living that may be contributing to their discomfort. What can we do then from a manual therapy perspective that might encourage a more optimal environment for healing and maybe increase the rate or speed of healing for that tissue? Now, I'm the last person that's going to give you a recipe for, for treatment. I don't believe in recipes because every patient needs to be considered on their own merits at their, their current state of injury or recovery, degrees of sensitivity and so on. 
But there are some things that I've used that have been effective in many cases with patients. One of those things, surprisingly for many, would be dry needling. And so if you get a patient who is in a fairly subacute or chronic state, so they're not having acute flare-ups all the time, or, or at least not at the time that they're coming in to see you, maybe they can withstand a fair bit of pressure over the area, palpation over the area. It's not too sensitive to touch. But they've had this condition that's been going on for a while. They've got a recalcitrant plantar fasciopathy. Not much seems to improve it. Well, then in those cases, I found dry needling to be quite effective. So I would use a needle and insert it directly into the area where the person would experience the discomfort. And then I'd use often sort of fairly stimulatory techniques like pistoning or pecking into the tissue to encourage a little bit of microtrauma, encourage an acute inflammatory response in that tissue. Inflammation is then used to encourage healing, and it might be enough to kickstart that healing process that may have been failing up to that point. You have to consider the person's sensitivity. I said this is not going to be appropriate for everybody. Um, some people just won't want that. It's just going to be too painful for them. In that case, dry needling is not going to be an option for them. But if they can manage it quite comfortably, it can be a really effective way to get that or, or trigger that healing process to get it moving a little bit earlier and a little bit faster. I would do that conservatively, though. So I might do that once a week and see how they respond. And then in between sessions, I'm going to be trying to offload that tissue as much as possible. When somebody's had an acute inflammatory response, if we then continue to load that tissue excessively, that person then just sort of perpetuates that inflammation and it may have a further failed healing response. And so if I was to use dry needling, the end of that session, I'd typically tape up that person with rigid tape, sort of a low diet taping approach, most likely, to sort of unload the plantar fascia and give it an opportunity to have, to have less load over the next day or two. So the rigid tape can be used kind of like an external orthotic to support that plantar fascia to take the load off of it without producing any compression of the tissue. Other things that can be quite effective as part of the manual therapy treatment can be plain old massage. So soft tissue work into the sole of the foot can be a great tool to desensitize the tissue. And we can't confuse this uh, massage technique as something that can produce lengthening of the plantar fascia. It's often talked about, let's strip through the plantar fascia to lengthen it. There's no amount of massage in the world that will ever lengthen a plantar fascia. So we have to be mindful of that. Plantar fascia is just too dense, too strong to be lengthened by our thumbs, knuckles or fingers. So any massage that we do is really about desensitizing, reducing the pain experience for the patient, encouraging some healthy circulation into the tissue, uh, which then can also support the healing process. We are dealing with a fascial presentation, so we should consider it from a fascial perspective. So let's look at the plantar fascia as it extends from the toes back towards the heel. That fascia is then continuous with the Achilles tendon and the fascia that extends up through the, the calf muscles and into the hamstring and further up the back. So the superficial backline of connective tissue if we're looking at it from an anatomy trains perspective and so it may be worthwhile doing some soft tissue work some stretching some manual therapy to the calves the hamstrings and further up the chain those things may be contributing to some of the load that's being applied to the plantar fascia and treating them may reduce some of the 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 pain sensation and the unnecessary load that is existing within the foot it's probably at this point worth mentioning shockwave therapy I haven't had a lot of personal experience with this modality quite, so I won't really offer any advice on it, but there has been some reports that say that, for again, for those recalcitrant type um, plantar fasciopathy presentations, shockwave can be quite useful. The mechanism of effect, though, is going to be fairly similar to what we're achieving with our dry needling. So, so something to consider when choosing the modalities that you might be applying. So there you go. There's a few things that you can try that may help support the patient through their recovery process. 
uh, it can just keep in mind that it can be very frustrating for them. And then sometimes they go backwards before they can go forwards. And so the treatment process should be a fairly engaging one with the practitioner. The, the patient should be ideally coming to see them fairly regularly during that time so that the patient can then get the feedback from the patient, adjust the plan, increase or decrease the amount of activity the person's doing and really managing that load. And the key to success with any management plan is going to be managing load. And it's not just about reducing load while the person's sensitive, it's also about gradually increasing load over time because the thing that will ultimately resolve this is increasing the robustness or the strength of that plantar fascia so it can withstand whatever you throw at it from day to day. So I hope this discussion's been useful or helpful for you clinically. Um, for the next next time the patient walks in with a, or hobbles in, I should say, with a plantar fasciopathy, hopefully you'll be now better equipped to be able to identify that, understand it, and offer advice around it. Thanks for listening today. See you next time.